This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good afternoon. It's Sunday, October 6th. And you are listening to the Week 6 Recap Edition of the College Football Daily, dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. I'm Connor Tapp, and I'm joined today by 24-7 Sports College Sports Editor, Trey Scott. Trey, we had one big game this weekend that really kind of upset the narrative that we had prepared going into the weekend, and that is Florida beating Auburn 24-13 in the Swamp. Why did we all pick Auburn to win? That was the first thing I thought maybe halfway through the first quarter. Florida just slept on Florida's defense, knew that was a great defense. Kyle Trask, golly. But, yeah, no, Auburn was the favorite. People were picking Auburn because, well, they'd gone through a, a tough September slate, the toughest September slate of anybody, and come out unscathed. Bo Nix. Yeah, but he took a step back. You're right, Connor. Yeah. I, I, that's you know. That, anyway, the the I was thinking, you know, as that game was kind of getting going, I was like, oh man, I should have picked Florida. F- Florida's going to win this one. Yeah, I think I think what happened here, and if you watched the Saturday stream on Facebook, YouTube, or Periscope, you maybe like saw me second guessing my pick in real time. Where, like, I think there. What we what happened here, I think, is Auburn has a great defense, and we'd seen Bo Nix take steps forward in previous weeks, kind of just assuming that you know his progress would continue to be linear and that the freshman wouldn't take a step back, look like a freshman. And I think what we saw here was a little bit of Bo Nix's flaws being exposed. Slash, I think you could probably charge Gus Malzahn with putting a little bit too much on his shoulders, maybe himself getting a little too carried away with how good he looked passing the ball. Nick's look, how good Nick's looked passing the ball against Mississippi state last week. And I mean, Florida's defense is good enough to take the running game away from you to an extent, but um, there were times in individual moments where it just seemed like Auburn opting to put the ball in their quarterback's hands as a passer instead of sticking to their running game really proved costly, especially in a number of situations where Auburn was on the cusp of field goal range and Bo Nix ends up turning the ball over or taking a gigantic sack. And so yeah, he, he ends up, yeah. I'm no, just going to hit his stats real quick. 11 of 27, 145 yards, three interceptions, one touchdown. Last week uh, on the on the recap episode, I was talking about Bo Nix taking a step forward and like, and that being the difference in Auburn being a national title contender. And I think we're seeing now that that, that was a mirage. We still got – not not that Bo Nix's future isn't at that level potentially, but we're not there yet. Yeah, he had that brutal interception to Steiner right in the end zone, just like right between the numbers. Um, Anthony Schwartz got one touch. I 
the, the thing that no one's really, I guess, going to be talking about today is it looked like Kyle Trask, that injury, we kind of thought that was a season ender, the way his yeah. leg – he came back and played. And played I think really we're all, well. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's great news for him, great news for Florida, because Florida versus LSU next week in the swamp is, I guess, we had really – Coming into the season, not I hadn't really circled that one as you know a big October October game, but that all has started to fall into the place the last few weeks. And I guess Florida being an underdog for Auburn, I never really thought LSU Florida was going to be this monumental game, but it is going to be. It is LSU's incredible passing attack versus this Florida defense that's so opportunistic and so skilled in the back end and so ferocious on the front seven, and then on the other side. You're going to have LSU's defense has sort of gotten gashed at times. Like, can Kyle Trask take advantage of that? It's going to be super interesting. That was my real main takeaway, honestly. By the time this one ended, uh, by the time we had that long Michael Pirine run and 24-13 was iced away, it's, oh, man, we got a game next week. Yeah, eight turnovers total in this game. Both defenses really showed up to play, but... Uh, yeah, quarterback play, the difference in that one. And it'll be interesting to see, as you said, how that translates next week against LSU. Uh, Ohio State 34, Michigan State 10. Ohio State does not allow any second-half points. Justin Fields, maybe – okay, so like his, his stat line isn't bad, but it's not quite – uh, video game that you need to move up a level of difficulty, uh, unlike, unlike in previous weeks. J.K. Dobbins, though, absolutely shreds Michigan State, and so does Master Teague, for that matter. Dobbins ends the day with 172 yards, one touchdown, and one really delicious 67-yard touchdown run. So takeaway here for me is the Buckeyes go up against maybe their toughest defense yet and don't really appear to miss too much of a beat on offense, a little a little slower to get going. But in the end, everything looks about like you would have expected here. It's for sure the toughest defense they've played yet. And Michigan State's defense is on par with Wisconsin's, which Ohio State will play in the regular season and then probably again in the Big Ten title game. And the, the fact that they put 34 on him is kind of scary. J.K. Dobbins is, I guess, my early candidate right now, if there was an award, uh, for comeback player of the year. After seeing his yards per carry dip freshman to sophomore by three, uh, because no one respected Dwayne Haskins in the in the in the run game last year, you know J.K. Dobbins has been such a beneficiary of Justin Fields' legs and the threat that presents. He is just sensational, just a fantastic running back. And it's funny that you talk about Justin Fields' stat line because I you know you watch the game and you're like yeah, and you pull up the stats and you're like yeah, and it's just we've just been so, I guess numbed to quarterback statistics that there's really nothing great about 206 yards and two touchdowns, but he's pretty efficient. He added a rushing touchdown. This Ohio State team is something else. Yeah, and just if – oh, sorry. No, I was going to say in their defense too, I wonder when it's time that we're going it, to – it's easy to talk Fields and Dobbins, and I think everyone wants to do that because those yeah. two are such superstars. But their defense – I know Chase Young gets plenty of uh, praise. He's probably the best defensive player in college football. This is a swarming unit, and they're making a lot of plays. Yeah, yeah, a, a really impressive uh, game out of the defense, and to just and there were points in the first half where Michigan State was like moving the ball pretty decently, and Brian Lewerke was playing pretty well, but just shutout in the second half, 
And Fields, yeah, I mean, I I kind of downplayed his stat line, but it, it was a it was a situation where if you like watching the game and noticing all the little things he does, the way he evades pressure, the way he like really sells uh, a handoff fake, he's just a lot of fun to watch, even when he isn't necessarily lighting it up from a statistical perspective. Georgia 43, Tennessee 14. The Vols came out of the gates hot on Rocky Top. Two touchdowns in their first three possessions. Uh, took had a uh, 14 to 13 or 14 to 10 lead early here. And uh, but UGA has the poise to kind of take a couple of haymakers on the road and stick to what they do and you eventually end up with a scoreline that everyone expected. Jake Fromm Really nice, efficient, solid day from him. 24 of 29, 288 yards, two touchdowns. Finds nine different receivers. And Trey, we were coming into the season like really worried about Georgia's receivers. I don't, I don't know that we necessarily are feeling that way right now. Lawrence and Kate, Lawrence Cager and George Pickens, among some other people, getting involved in there. They just look like men. And I know Cager is experienced, having tra- transferred in from Miami, but I, I'm not worried about that group anymore. No, for sure. Kager has really exceeded expectations. I thought he might just sort of be a, a guy in that rotation um, based on his work at Miami, but he's he's been sensational. Fromm's deadly efficient, and despite the fact that Georgia covered, I kind of want to shout out a little bit of praise to Tennessee. The Vols yeah. have had a brutal week, but the fact that they had fans in the stadium and the fact that Brian Marr looks decent in the first half at least, throwing for two touchdowns, I know Jared Garantano gets back in the game, and Jeremy Prude says they got to watch the film and kind of figure things out. But I, to me, it's Tennessee's at least – I don't know if they have their quarterback of the future. I'm certainly not going to say that. But they might have their quarterback for 2019. And I don't know if that means they're going to win more than three games. But they played hard and they played well. And given the week they had, you know, you have the dispens- dismissal of Jeremy Banks. You have – we're all talking about Jeremy Prude and Philip Fulmer still. That was nice to see them not lay a total goose egg. Yeah, at giving those fans a half of football to be excited about before things eventually got away from them, you know, I think that's that's an encouraging thing. It's progress. Um, UJ's defense, uh, two turnovers, 11 tackles for loss. If, if we talk about Georgia kind of underwhelming against Notre Dame, I think we got to give them a little bit of credit for overwhelming, uh, exceeding expectations uh, a little bit against Tennessee. Um so I was, I was impressed with what we saw out of them there. It looked for a little while like Tennessee just had the fans in the game, like you said, and things could get hairy. And we have seen in the past a really outmatched from a talent perspective Tennessee team kind of go toe-to-toe with Georgia in Knoxville. And Butch Jones's first year took that one into, into overtime. But it, it was not to be Georgia too good, too composed. They go on the road and get a convincing win Michigan 10, Iowa 3. Michigan's defense is the story here, and their offense. Tale of two two sides of Michigan here. Eight sacks and three interceptions for the Michigan defense, but on the offensive side of the ball, just 260 yards total offense, two missed field goals. Shea Patterson still looking quite bad, 5.7 yards per attempt, one interception. The Wolverines couldn't really run the ball either, 3.6 yards per attempt. So I I, I, th- I, think the thing that we haven't seen from Michigan so far that maybe gives Wolverines fans hope is we have not seen their defense take over a game the way 
they did on Saturday. But the offense still has to be a massive concern. Yeah, I guess you sort of what you sort of mean. They have this a ceiling yet to reach where their defense can do what they did. Where Iowa's just literally going backwards every play. What is showing by Iowa, by the way? Yeah, Michigan's defense was great, but this isn't the kind of team that Michigan's defense is going to struggle with. Iowa doesn't have the playmakers on the outside. I know it's cliche now to mention crossing routes being Don Brown's bugaboo, but Iowa's not going to do that. A lot of people picked Iowa. I picked Iowa, so I'm going to give Michigan credit for 10 to three. But it was ugly. And Michigan's offense, halfway through the season now, officially, hasn't taken any forward steps. Maybe they're, maybe they're also going backwards. Yeah. It, you, you wonder if Dylan McCaffrey's healthy, the backup quarterback, if Michigan hasn't made a QB change officially by now. And I guess the one th- other thing I'll say for the takeaway is I'm really frustrated watching Michigan football because I know they have talent on the outside in Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Tariq Black. I know they have talent, and those guys are having a tough time getting the ball and having anything to do with it. And it's it's maddening to watch because those guys will be in the NFL in, the, in a year uh, doing big things, and we're just going to waste a really great college football receiving core. Yeah, a little bit frustrating because, you know, when you bring in a kind of spread offense guy, you kind of think, oh, great, we're going to get the ball to our playmakers in space. That's like the thing that you say about spread offenses and that's just not happening so yeah that it it feels like a really seriously wasted opportunity if Michigan isn't able to figure out how to get things moving forward on offense here let's swing out west Trey Mm -hmm. Oregon 17 Cal 7 the Pac-12 really needed this one because of a a score that happened elsewhere which we'll get to in a second but a really ugly ugly game uh, Cal scores on its second possession of the game, takes a 7-0 lead into halftime, and then Oregon scores 17 second-half points to get the win. Five turnovers in this one, three missed field goals between the two teams. Uh, but uh, So the Oregon fans came into this game kind of frustrated with their offense. I don't think that changes, even going against a good Cal defense. But the Oregon, at least nominally, keeps – it's national title, it's college football playoff hopes alive, and that's something that the Pac-12 really needs. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I haven't derived any joy from watching Oregon play football this year, which is no, well, not what I expected. <laughs> yeah, it is a shame. Uh, I'll, I'll mention that uh, top five recruit, Kayvon Thibodeau, had two sacks for Oregon. But, yeah, it's – look, I, hey, Oregon did, did against Cal what, what Washington couldn't do. And I guess when Justin Herbert takes the leg up on Jacob Beeson in that regard, I think, and I know where you're about to segue me in. So I'll just yeah. kind of give you a prod segue. Like if you can figure the PAC 12 out on a week to week basis, let me know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Stanford 23, Washington 13. It's the Huskies second loss of the year. Their college football playoff hopes are done. Because mathematically, they're still in the Pac-12 North, but a two-loss Pac-12 team is not getting in. Davis Mills, a surprisingly good performance, I thought, for Stanford's offense here. Uh, 21 of 30, 293 yards, one touchdown for Davis Mills. Did leave the game late with an injury, and uh, the I guess the third-string quarterback kind of had to see it over the line. 189 rushing yards for the Cardinal, and that rushing attack has been MIA for a year and a half at this point. Uh, for the Huskies... 
I look, I feel really bad about coming on this podcast and being too excited about how Jacob Eason looked against an FCS team in week one, uh, 16 to 36, 206 yards for Eason, one touchdown, one interception. And the, the Huskies just do not have the range in, in 2019. Jacob Eason is toggling every week between maybe first round pick to undrafted guy. And I think the key here is Stanford just shuts down Washington's rushing attack. Salman Ahmed only had 28 yards rushing after a week after just destroying USC. So Washington kind of looks like a fraud uh, in the years since they made the playoff. Uh, well, God, 2017 um, with Jake Browning, and and ever since then, you've talked. We've talked about them in the preseason as a team that can run the table each year. I thought they would win the Pac-12. I'm wrong, probably. And then Stanford, hey, you mentioned the rushing attack. This is finally the balance that they have been looking for in the last two years. And it's hurt them as far as they've tried to force balance in both directions. And they finally struck gold here on this really weird late Saturday night football game. And it's, I, think this is, I think this is the upset of the week. Yeah, because uh, Stanford has looked really bad. And... Their loss to UCF seems yes. to look even worse by virtue of the fact that UCF goes and loses to Cincinnati and doesn't look very good in doing it. Um, Great point. So this uh, really surprising turn of events. Pac-12, really hard to figure out. I think if you're power ranking, hard to figure out conferences, probably number one, Pac-12. Number two, Big 12, Texas yeah. 42, West Virginia 31. Trey, you're a pessimistic mm. Texas fan, so you saw a struggle coming a little bit. Though I think Texas, do they cover, or is this a push? Yes, they covered. They covered. Yeah. And, Connor, this was like, it was 42-24 at one point. It was a really weird game in the fourth quarter. West Virginia ends up attempting onside kicks on two separate occasions. Texas's defense has got to get out of the, okay, the game's over, fourth quarter mindset, because that'll kill them next week against Oklahoma just like it almost killed them last year against Oklahoma when Kyler Murray erased a 21-point lead in nine minutes. So Texas doesn't look good, but they get out of Morgantown with a win. That's all you want in the, in the week leading up to Texas OU. That is all you want, and you'll figure everything else out later. You'll figure out why Sam Ellinger can't hit the deep ball and why Keontae Ingram can't get the, get the run game going and why Texas's defense picks off Austin Kendall four times and also surrenders 300 yards passing. So you'll figure that out, and, and you'll take it. So, Trey, as we're watching this game on the Saturday stream yesterday, Longhorns players, particularly defenders, kind of dropping like flies. Do we know anything about who's okay, who's maybe got to do some tests, and and how what the health of those injured Texas players is heading into Oklahoma week? You know, interestingly enough, I think everyone who we saw on Saturday is going to be fine. B.J. Foster actually came back after – stingering himself with a hard tackle and made a really big interception. So I think Texas should be okay in that regard. The health concerns to look out for are on the offensive side of the ball. Colin Johnson hasn't played since the LSU game. They need him at wide receiver to come back. And, uh, but Kate, but like the, the, the long time, long standing defensive injuries, the Caden Cerns, the Jalen Greens, those guys won't be back next week. So we mentioned Cincinnati beating UCF on Friday night. Some other, Notable results, I guess, uh, or at least results involving big teams. LSU, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Penn State, all blowout teams. They're a lot better than. And really, the talk heading into this weekend was how underwhelming a slate it's been, how underwhelming a slate it's been pretty much all season. But 
I do think that this weekend kind of all in the back of our minds as we're watching a lot of these teams is that next week is going to be an absolute monster, isn't it? Yeah, this weekend was just the mere appetizer because next weekend, and this is just, it's going to be great. Florida State at number two, Clemson. South Carolina at number three, Georgia. I guess these AP rankings are, I, I shouldn't use them. They're current as of Sunday morning. The AP poll hasn't come out yet. Texas OU in Dallas. Alabama at Texas A&M. Michigan State at Wisconsin. Like first one to 14 wins that one. USC at Notre Dame. Penn State at Iowa. And of course, Florida at LSU, which is where college game day will be. So you've got playoff eliminators in Dallas. You've got a playoff eliminator you know, maybe, maybe in both Death Valleys, not sure. And then what if USC hands Notre Dame its second loss, or what if Notre Dame hands Clay Helton his, uh, his walk-in papers? It's going to be – this is the slate that has made everything worth it as far as all the chalk. Yep, it's going to be an exciting weekend of football, and I'm really looking forward to it. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. Trey and I will be back tomorrow with our top five teams heading out of week six. For Trey Scott and our producer, Tani Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you bright and early on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.